Well, that uh, eulogy practice was perfect, Todd. That's great. <laughs> so um, I must be getting ready to go and be with the Lord forever because that was um, about as perfect uh, a kind word as you can imagine being said at one's funeral. Uh, my name is Kurt. My wife and six children are all here. And uh, it's a cause of great celebration. Our son has recently gone away to college, and so we don't get to see him all the time, but he's here for Christmas break, and we're glad to be here with you. Todd is uh, one of those life-quality friends as he's expressed. Uh, we feel the same way about each other. We knew each other when uh, neither of us were married, and so that means that uh, as a church planner, I can sell you stories that will be worth your while. So uh, maybe we should have an auction, and I should put titles up for different stories, and, and we can enrich the kingdom uh, by laughing at one another. Um, maybe that would be enjoyable, but Todd and Kimberly and your wonderful crew is a blessing to us and to... Um, Rejoice in brotherhood. I hope that you know this as a believer, that the thrill of knowing somebody at this level, walking in love, walking in truth, walking in goodness with one another is really the marrow of life that he gives to us as believers. The scriptures call us to brotherhood and sisterhood, and we should actually adopt that in real terms or abandon the whole thing. And for me, adoption and picking it up and carrying it forward is what Christ calls us to, and one of the privileges of being found in Christ. This morning we have the opportunity, Merry Christmas to all of you, this morning we have the opportunity to consider the supreme value of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the greatest value, the greatest gift, the most wonderful promise, the most wonderful privilege, who he is and who he is for us is our great opportunity this morning. But the question for all of us, really, let's think about it. What is your value? What do you value? Years ago, after a round of golf, I was a little um, haphazard in backing out of my parking space. And in so doing, as I backed up slowly, I heard a bonk. I had backed into another vehicle. I don't know what I was thinking. I wasn't looking behind me. I don't know what it was. But I hit another car, and I thought, that's not good. So I, I pulled right back into my parking space, and I <clears throat> turned around to see what kind of car it was. And it was a brand-new Porsche. I was like, oh, man. Oh, sheesh. Shucks. And uh, <clears throat> so I, I reach into my uh, console, I grab a card, and I put my information down, and, and I'm so sorry, here's my name, here's my phone number, we'll fix this, I'm so sorry, and I put it on its windshield. And, and then I decided to wait, actually, because it was that time of day that it was getting dark, and so a lot of people were coming uh, off the course. I just figured I would wait for a few minutes and, and see if he would show up. So I did wait for a few minutes, and alas, I saw a guy coming uh, down the hill straight towards the car. And so I met him, basically, as he was coming in this direction towards his car, I met him, and he looked at me like a Porsche owner would, like, what are you doing? And, uh, <clears throat> and I was like, <clears throat> hey, friend, and he came to the back where the, this little incident had occurred, and, and, and I said, hey, friend, and, and, and he looked at me like, what? And he looked down, and he went, <gasps> and he started to stagger. He dropped his golf clubs on the asphalt, and he was like, and I was like, hey, hey, I'm just sorry. He, he was like, he was stammering and staggering, and I was like, oh, my name is Kurt. He didn't, wasn't listening to me at all. He was staring at this little dent in the rear fender of his beautiful Porsche. And, and I just said, I tried to like break through the shock. I was like, yo, I'm Kurt. And he's like, what? He's like, you. And I'm like, yeah, me, I'm sorry. He's like, 
I, I, I just got it today. And I was like, come on, man, don't be like that. You know what I mean? Ain't nobody got time for your worrying about when you got it. You know what I mean? He's like, I just got it today. And, and I was like, oh, dude. I was like, it's just, it's just a little. And he's like, and he was, again, he was stunned. He was stagnant, stammering, like, oh. And, and I was like, I don't know. Here's, I, I got the card that I put on his windshield. I gave it to him because he was just staring there. You know what I mean? Standing over this little dent. And uh, I was like, here's my information. We can talk whenever, and, uh, you know, I just am sorry. He did, and he didn't say another word. I mean, he was so sad, the whole thing. And I was like, dude, sorry about the car, but you're overbaking your Porsche. You know what I'm saying? You're overdoing the value of the Porsche. I regret that there's a dent. By the way, I, I, don't, I didn't know that he was aware of the fact that they have companies that actually fix things like that, like, almost perfectly. You know what I'm saying? I didn't total the thing. I just had a tiny little dent in the rear fender. I was apologetic. Insurance took care of it, and I'm hoping that he's okay today. Uh, <laughs> and he got over that. And my point is this. What is your value? We all have our values. We all have what we value. We have small things that we overvalue. We have big things that we don't value as much. And what is your value? Because I'm here to proclaim from the word of God that Jesus Christ is the supreme value of all values. And for us to get our, our mind and our heart and our hands before the Lord at the point of greatest value, greatest importance, is our thrill and our privilege and our honor to embrace this value and to live according to it. Friends, let's go to the text. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, because here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, Peter himself will teach us six ways that he, the Lord Jesus, is our supreme value. And esteeming the value of Jesus Christ is our highest privilege to think about who he is and to esteem it in our hearts of worship, in our hands of service. That's our highest privilege. So let's live in light of the value of Christ, not live in light of the value of a, a Porsche or a possession or whatever else may compete for Christ's highest value. First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10 teach us about the supreme value of the Lord Jesus Christ and coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But to those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumbled because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. 
You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray together. O Father and great Holy Spirit, would you help us today to esteem appropriately the Lord Jesus Christ? You, Father, love your Son. O Holy Spirit, you're constantly shining the spotlight of glory on Jesus Christ. May you both work today in concert with your word and what is spoken from this platform to work in all of our hearts a greater joy, love, and estimation of your son's value to know him, to enjoy him. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's talk about value just for a moment before we get to our first point. Think about the way you value your children and how you value your children, I hope, differently than you value your favorite tool. <laughs> so let's say you work with your hands. I don't do anything with my hands. Uh, I'm completely incapable. My wife is exceedingly gifted working with her hands. Uh, she's like Barbara Vila. I'm like, um, I'm like Bob the can't build anything. I don't know what it is. But, <laughs> but think about a tool that's useful to you. So do you value a tool that you can apply to a trade and, and do something with? Of course you value that. And if you have children or family members, I also hope that you value your family members. But the value of these two are very, very different. And you have to understand the difference in these two values so that you can esteem Christ's value accurately. How do you value family members? If you have children, how do you value your children? Do you value them because they do things for you or they provide money for you or they help you do certain things? Is that why you value your children? The answer to that is no. You value your children because of their intrinsic value. You value your children because they're wonderful in your eyes. And they're yours. And your passion for them and your joy in them is bound up in who they are by nature, not what they do for you. That's why you value family members. And that's why your heart is moved to be with them and to share with them and to encourage and build them up because of who they are by nature, not what they do for you. But your tool, that drill or that hammer or that tool, do you value that tool because of its intrinsic value? No. You value that tool because it's red or black or do you value it because of its color? No. You value that tool not because of what it is, but because of what? what it does. Do you see it? You value a tool because of its utilitarian value. See, it does something for you, and so it's valuable because it can perform a task. What's my point? There's two different types of value. There's intrinsic value, value for the person or the thing itself, and then there's utilitarian value, value for what it accomplishes. And Jesus Christ is valuable in which way? Both ways. You get it? He's valuable in both ways. He's valuable because of who he is. He's so exceedingly wonderful and glorious and king of all kings, the Lord of glory, 
and the master of the universe. And he is valuable because of what he is willing to do for you. He's valuable on all points of the spectrum and in all of these purposes. The Lord Jesus is valuable for both. So as we go through our outline, and we consider here in these verses six ways that he, Peter, proves Christ's value to us, think about ways in which his intrinsic value is, in, is highlighted and ways in which his utilitarian value is highlighted. Those two words are, again, intrinsic value, value for who he is in his person, and utilitarian value, value for what he does and is willing to do for sinners like you and like me. So this is the value of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, six supreme values of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first is the privilege of proximity. And my clicker, is it happening? No. What have, what have I done? What? Thank you, Bob. And uh, can you forward it? Yes. And his name is Bob, everybody. And uh, all right, here we go. Point number one, the privilege of proximity. So you have the notes and blanks in front of you. Thank you, Brad. Uh, you have um, the privilege of proximity. And proximity, oh, that one on the on, side. On Great. It was not yet turned on. Thank you. Very nice. So now it's been turned on by the great tech genius, Brad. And now, watch this. Hold, wait for it. See, there you go. But I'm going back. Bam. Thank you. Bob, um, you're still useful. Hang tight because I mess all things up technological. How many of you are technological morons like me? Come on. We're in church. Honesty in church. That's right. Thank you very much. I feel better already. <clears throat> this here, friends, in verse 4, is the privilege of proximity. One of the ways in which Jesus Christ is valuable to us is in this first phrase in verse 4. Do you see it there? What does it say? And what? And coming to him. Don't just skip over this. <clears throat> There's value in even this phrase. And coming to him. How does your translation phrase it? As you come to him. That's it. As you come to him. This is the privilege of proximity. What's another word for proximity? Closeness, that's it. Closeness and nearness. I pray to God that your heart knows the joy of closeness with Christ. And, and it just says, and as we come to him, and coming unto him, and drawing near to him, this is the call of the gospel. When Jesus says, follow me, he did not mean at a distance. He wanted us right there with him. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He commands us to follow him closely. In fact, sometimes in the Gospels, when you read the command, follow me, it's actually the adverb for near nearness, closely. He just uses the word close, and he's expecting you to know that that means to follow him 
closely and so our following closely and our drawing near purposely. This is the proximity that he desires for us and what a privilege and what an honor he desires it for us. Coming to him and following and abiding in nearness. All of this is communion speech. John 15, 5, abiding in the vine. This is coming unto him. This is drawing near to him. This is our privilege of personal access to the Lord. About a week and a half ago, on an airplane, I spoke with a man, um, befriended him. We started a conversation and spoke with him about his relationship with the Lord. We talked about a lot of other things, and, and that was a part of our conversation as well. And I asked him, and he, he basically said that he was a religious person and had a religious past, and, and yet, I, and so I asked him, I said, what does, the Lord, what does the Lord Jesus mean to you? Trying to break through kind of the religious parts of kind of his structure, because it was about church and about tradition and about family, and he looked at me and he kind of was like, I, I, and I'm not sure. For all of his religious experience, and I'm not sure about you, for all of his reps in the church, at the thing, doing it again and again, he missed the whole point, which was closeness and communion with Christ. This privilege of proximity is an exceeding value and thrill. And my question is, do you have this joy? Do you experience this closeness? I was talking to a guy at a CVS a few weeks ago, and really a, a really a sweet guy. He was just kind of was buying some things, and he I was paying for them, and we struck up a conversation. And in that moment, I, I asked him. I said, "Do you have a church home for the holidays? Like, do you have a church home for Christmas? Do you go to church?" In other words, he said, "No." I was like, "Man, you need to go to this church." I was in a town called Kingsburg, Grace Church of the Valley. I said, "You need to go to this church." And, uh, hey, let me take your number. I want to interact with you, and hopefully we can find some people to go with you. He's like, yeah, me and my brother-in-law, and, and he needs to go, and my wife, we've talked about it recently. I was like, hey, hey, man. I was like, hey, Robert, let this be the greatest Christmas of all by you knowing the Lord Jesus Christ in a saving way. So we've been texting back and forth a little bit, um, me more texting him than anything else. Another friend went and met him. And I'm still praying for him that he would come. But here's my question for you. When I use this speech about closeness to Christ, is that something that you're familiar with in your experience? Or is that still something that's far away from you in your understanding? Thank you. Because this can be the merriest Christmas of them all if you turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you willing to do that? Or are you willing on the other side to forsake all of this value that is offered to you by his kindness? What an offer. Freedom from sin, forgiveness for all the ways that you and I have fallen short. All the righteousness of heaven poured into our account so that we can walk in light, hope, joy, goodness, 
clarity, wisdom, blessing, prosperity, and eternal life. Okay, so you pick it. Distance from Christ or closeness to Christ. Through repentance and trust in who he is. So this proximity is a great and wonderful privilege for us all. And believer, I would encourage you to develop your intimacy with the Lord. I would encourage you as you approach the new year to think of a way that you want to be more deliberate in your communion with the Lord, communing with him every day, reading and praying and seeking and journaling and drawing near to him. So believers, what about you? Do you want to double down on your commitment to drawing near to the Lord in a purpose, communion fashion, as you devote yourself on a regular basis to reading and learning and growing? with him, because if you are interested in that, then I would encourage you to tell somebody about it. Tell your spouse, tell a friend, tell one of your uh, leaders in your small group, whatever it is, be serious about growing in your communion with him and enjoying the privilege of proximity. We got more points. Let's move on, all right? Uh, Here's number two. Ready for this? Oh, interesting. Oh, Oh, come, let us adore. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) There we go. Bob, you had me. I don't know what I did. I ruined everything, but you fixed this, at least. Uh, (laughs) And you don't need me up here singing, so I'll thank you for uh, all gifts can go to Anchor Bible Church uh, through Bob. So there you go. The privilege of proximity. We just saw that. Here we go. The estimation of God in verse 5. What does he say to us in verse 5? Sorry, still in verse 4. And coming to him as to a living stone, verse 4 still, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. Can you imagine that some men are so foolish to reject what God says is choice and precious? This here, friends, is the estimation of God. And if God clearly esteems or values something, it is right and good and wise for you to evaluate it the same way. He knows a lot more than we know. I mean, think about, how, think about how little we know. You and I know, take all of, let's do this, take all of the knowledge in this room and put it together. That represents, I would suggest to you, 1% of 1% of 1% of 1% of 1% of all the knowledge that there is to be known in the universe and less than that. We don't, know, we don't have half a clue. Now, I'm speaking for myself and not meaning to uh, be unkind to you, but my point is this. Our knowledge is so limited. His knowledge is perfect. And when God, true God, in perfect understanding, esteems something the way that he does here, then we should just say, you know what? I'm taking your word for it. And the Lord Jesus Christ, while rejected by men, do not reject his value this morning. He is esteemed by God as choice and precious. The word here for choice is the word for elect. God the Father chose the Son to the task, chose the Son in his purpose, chose the Son. He is choice. He is select. He is grade A prime, the best of the best. The Father said the Son is choice. And the Father says that you and I our choice in Christ as he elects us as well. Praise God. And he's not only choice, but the Father says that the Son is also choice and precious. 
This is a really powerful word. This is our word for value. This is our word for honor. This is our word for um, importance and significance. And so Jesus Christ, as far as God the Father is concerned, is choice. He is select. And he is honorable, valuable in it all, cherished, esteemed. That's the Lord Jesus Christ as far as the Father is concerned. Christ Jesus is precious. Christ Jesus is choice. And Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says this. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, in which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. So let me come around to what I just said a moment ago, that Christ Jesus is precious in choice, and believer, so are you. By grace, not by merit, not because of what we do or why we do what we do or who we are or how we are, but if you have trusted in Christ, you are choice and precious to the Father by the grace that he has poured out on your life. Are you willing to reject this and stand on your own merit in his presence? I hope that you are not. But rather, willing to submit to Christ, trust in Christ, as to a living stone, we being the living stones in his image, and serving and honoring him. I have a few slides. Bob, maybe you can help us with this. I I worked hard to find hobbies that none of you would be invested in. And if any of you are invested in these hobbies and you think that it's worthwhile, and I'm mocking you, I in advance seek um, your forgiveness. Uh, Because I found two hobbies that I thought were so exceedingly unusual that there's no way that even a group this size that any of you would be invested in. This is extreme ironing, okay? If this is your hobby and this is what you spend your time and money on, extreme ironing, then... um, (laughs) There's another image of extreme ironing on a mountaintop, and uh, I think so, yeah. So this guy climbed this mountain with an ironing board and iron in his pack, and then he ironed on top of the mountain. So, by the way, if you are invested in extreme ironing, I apologize. I don't mean to tease you or mock you, but I'm not altogether sure that this is, this is esteeming the right thing. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot of time and a lot of money, but I have even more, another hobby that's even more silly to me, and it's competitive pet grooming. Um... That's an animal, a live animal. And there are more live animals that have been competitively groomed. Oh, that's a dog. There's also some forsaken Elmo big bird. I don't know. This is competitive pet grooming. And uh, that has taken sports fandom to, to a wrong extent, all right? I know Steelers fans, but... Uh, Man, that's uh, actually the name of that dog is Roethlisberger, and that's just a camel. No, it's not. It's a dog. I mean, it's a cat. It's a rat. It's a, I don't know what it is, but it's competitive pet grooming is what it is. And, and my point is this. There are people, obviously, that have invested lots of time and lots of money into this passion of competitive ironing, which is a real thing, or this pet grooming, which is also a real thing. And I'm suggesting to you that we all have our own versions of that. Is it conservative talk radio? Or is it this interest in something what's happening online that you click on that instead of having time with the Lord? Is it this, um, what is it for us? 
What do we tend to esteem? And I'm asking for each of you individually, in the notes in front of you, ask the Holy Spirit right now to begin to help you to know what you're esteeming inaccurately. Too much of this. Because when there's too much of this, maybe not be this silly, there's going to be too little of the Lord. And when God esteems the Lord Jesus Christ as precious and choice, then our entire lives, I'm preaching to myself right now, should be caught up in the glory and value and honor of knowing him and enjoying all that he is. Instead of wasting here and there, throwing away time and energy and money and resources and my heart and my interests and my desires, some of you have no interest in the Lord Jesus because you're spending your interest cards on everything else. Dented Porsches. They'll all be dented eventually, amen? So invested in this, uh, getting this house, or I don't know what it might be for you. I'm asking the Lord to show me what it is for me so that what remains... is a life consumed with the glory and wonder and value of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be home so soon. In moments, we're going to be in his presence. And in that hour, this is all that remains, is how we value the Lord Jesus Christ in our heads, theology, hearts, worship, hands, service. That's all that will matter in a few decades for all of us. And so, what do we say no to? What do we start turning off? Less of this, more of something else. I would encourage you right now, jot it in your notes. What is it? What is that thing or two? Too much of this, too, too focused on that, too much energy here instead of the Lord. Because the estimation of God sends us a message and challenges us to do away with worthless matters. So, we have the privilege of proximity. We have the estimation of God. And number three, the honor of inclusion. The honor of inclusion. So now we're in verse five. And he says, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There are two primary ways here that we are included here in verse 5, the honor of inclusion. First, um, if you caught this in verse 4, he's the capital L, capital S, living stone, okay? Who's also, what do we, what do we read about in verse 6? That he's not just the living stone, but he's what kind of stone in the building? He's the, that's right, the cornerstone. So Jesus Christ, the the ultimate living stone is the cornerstone. And we are in verse five. We're also called what? Living stones in this structure of the house of God. So the house of God, you know, is not a building. It's a community. It's a collection of living stones. And all of us play a role and all of our roles are dictated by our relationship with the cornerstone. You see, houses were built out of stones. And so the cornerstone dictated the size of the house, the orientation of the house, and all of the other stones built on top of it were in relationship to the cornerstone. And so also us in God's spiritual house. That our inclusion in the house is because of 
the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see that here at the end of verse 5, that our spiritual sacrifices are made acceptable to God. What, is the, what are the last three words? Through what? Through Jesus Christ. The only way that we're acceptable to God is through Jesus Christ. We have no ability to come ourselves into his presence. He makes us acceptable, and it's because of him. So you're a part of the building because of your relationship with the chief cornerstone. He's the boss. He is the key to this entire relationship between us and God. And so we are living stones dependent on the cornerstone, and we're acceptable to God through him. So we're included, A, in that we're living stones, we're in the building, B, in that he makes us acceptable. This is the honor of inclusion. You are on this team. You are in this club. The price has been paid by the Son of God on the cross that he bore. And if you trust in him, you're in. And if you're in, that means that we're included, that our sacrifices are acceptable. And when we're in, because of his grace, we're also then, we have the privilege of engagement. So what you find here in this idea of Christ the cornerstone and us the living stones, it highlights or underscores the value of our investment, our contributions. You see, God's house was built so that those in God's house could receive grace in three primary ways. Number one, to meet him or to relate to him. Number two, to receive his grace. And number three, to offer sacrifices. So God builds a house to pour grace on his people in three primary ways. To meet with God, to receive his grace in that meeting, and to offer sacrifices to him. Let me say it a different way. Offering sacrifices to God is not you paying God back. It's you receiving more of God's grace. You serving God, contributing, giving, uh, ministering, sacrificing, caring for one another is not you paying God back. It is you receiving more of God's grace. The priests of the Old Testament were the ones that did all the work. They're also the ones that had the access. And you, as a holy priesthood to God, have access to God immediately, going straight to him. Here's the thing. Here's what's going on. Will you help? I need you. And you have the grace of the work. So often we receive the grace of immediate access, praying and drawing near to him, but how many of you and how often do you receive the grace of doing the work of the ministry? Volunteering, serving, contributing. One way that you can receive the grace of ministry is by joining one of these small groups. Be your living stone. You're connected to one another. Join these small groups. Why? Let me say it this way. As a guest preacher, I'm going to step on your toes. Here we go. It's going to about to happen, all right? Why would you impoverish yourself from the grace available to you in one of these small groups by keeping at a distance from them? I know it's hard. I know it's inconvenient. I know your schedule's busy. I know it's impractical. But this is grace available to you. Redeem it with joy and set whatever else needs to be set aside. This, my friends, is the honor of inclusion Let's consider now the preciousness of Jesus Christ. 
That's verse 7. This precious value then is for you who believe. What, what does your translation say at the beginning of verse 7? Okay, so, so read that whole phrase. What does it say? Great. So the honor is for you who believe. Is that what it says? That's beautiful. So this is, this is the word for precious that we saw in verse 4. You remember that? This is the same word. So what Peter's now saying is this precious value that is Christ, this honor, this value is yours through belief. The Lord Jesus is precious to those who believe. The Lord Jesus' value is amplified in the heart of everyone who trusts in him. Jesus, in all of his goodness, and all of the amazing glory of his person, and all that he offers us, is poured out on our lives through the grace of trusting and relying upon him. This great value, Jesus Christ is precious for those who believe. Let's stir up his preciousness. Let's apply belief to what the Bible says and ask ourselves again and again and again, how is he precious? What if you, for the entire month of January, every day, found a way that he was precious in his identity and precious in his grace and activity to you? What if every day you found two different ways that he was maybe a name of Jesus Christ? That would be his identity. And maybe there's an activity of Jesus Christ, his redemption, his goodness, his kindness, his humility. So in his identity and in his activity that he is increasingly more precious to you. Maybe 2019 starts with this exercise of his preciousness and you developing your faith and trust and reliance upon him by putting before yourself every day for 31 days, I think, the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is precious to those who believe. Let's stir up our belief. Let's turn off the noise of this world. Let's turn down these complications and these dulling agents, and let's invest in what's right and good. I love my wife for a ton of reasons. One of them is that she purchased at a good bookstore yesterday the sermon by Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and she said, this is a, this, there's a reason why this sermon is still printed 200, almost 300 years later. It's, a, it's, it's America's most famous sermon. And she said, because we have to drive up to Northern California uh, today, she said, we're going to read this in the car. Merry Christmas to all of our kids. <laughs> My wife loves the Lord. And it's like, this is going to be encouraging. Sinners in the hands of an angry God, it is a straight up punch you in the face smackdown. I mean, it is a very, very serious sermon about the glory of God and the wrath of God and the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. And she's thinking, how can we just stir up one another to love and good deeds? How can we amplify the preciousness of Jesus Christ in rescuing us from doom? And that's what he says here so clearly in verses 7 and 8. That the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. You see, there are foolish... There are foolish builders in the world. I pray that there are no foolish builders in this building. 
builders that take the perfect cornerstone that God has selected and chosen for salvation. Foolish builders reject that cornerstone and say, I got a better way. I'm going to make my way to heaven. I'm going to do it my way, uh, my thought, my path. I'm going to do it my way. I reject Jesus Christ. I don't need to rely on him. I don't need to build my life on the rock. I'm going to build it on the sand of my own opinions. I'm going to make my own way here. And I reject the precious cornerstone. It says in here, verses 7 and 8, that that person, the foolish builder, is appointed to doom because the only hope for our souls and our lives is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to have a right relationship with him, trusting in him, depending upon him. So it's belief, it's trust. What's the very last phrase in verse six? And those who trust in him, what does it say in your translation? will not be put to shame, Albert. They will not be put to shame. Those who, listen, Merry Christmas. This is the message of Christmas. Those who believe in him will not be put to shame. They will not be disappointed. You'll ride through life, through its difficulties, crippling darknesses. You'll ride through life on the wings of his grace and arrive in eternity with a welcome from the Lord Jesus Christ if you trust in him and build your life on the cornerstone, not your own way as a foolish builder would, but a wise builder. Jesus, your way, your value, your life, your kindness, your power, your grace to give and your grace to save. So this is the preciousness of Christ. For those who believe, you're saved in time, you're saved in eternity, you're saved through it all by his power and his goodness. And it is yours, believer. Take it up, relish it, lean on it, rely on it through the most crippling difficulties. He'll stand up. I'm here to tell you, he, he will stand up because it's true. I don't know the dark path that you've been down or the difficulties that you faced but his light can shine through it all. Trust in him so that he does not become a, a rock of offense and a stone of stumbling to any of you. But in the terms of a Merry Christmas would be hope and joy and salvation and light and life and goodness and healing and mercy for time and all eternity. This is the preciousness of Christ, and it's ours. It's ours, believer. Peter then highlights number five. In verse nine, the gift of identity. What we're doing is we're building all of these values of the Lord Jesus Christ. Proximity, inclusion, preciousness, salvation, all of these values are stored up here in these verses. And in verse 9, there's number 5, the gift of identity. Friends, in Christ, as a believer, you have a new identity. Your identity has changed. And Peter here, in short order, we saw some of this in verse 5. We now see a few examples here in verses 9 and 10 of our new identity. Very simply, he lists them. 
a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And now you are the people of God who would not receive mercy. Verse 10, but now you receive mercy. So <clears throat> these identities, chosen race, royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession. You had not received, you were not a people of God, now you're a people of God. You would not receive mercy, now you receive mercy. All of these are identities, new identities for those that have trusted in Christ. I leave to your own imagination and study these different identities, but just in short form. A chosen race is, is an elect group. Royal priesthood, a purposed task. Holy nation, a special people. A people for God's own possession is God's cherished possession. I, I've been struck in the last six months in my communion time with the Lord how one of the greatest, maybe preeminent messages for man in all of the scriptures, starting all the way back in the Garden of Eden, is that God designs and desires for us to be close to him. I mean, not us, but, but you. Individually, wants you to be close to him. So much so that he slew his son on the cross so that you would be privileged to draw near. You can be included because of Jesus paying the price for you. And in that inclusion, you can be a people for his own possession, cherished, beloved, and close. Believer, you have a new nature. And that brings us to this sixth privilege here in verse 9. The gift of identity sprouts and gives life to, number six, the thrill of commission. Do you see how it's tied together in verse 9? He lists these identities, and then he says this. So that, why do we have this new identity? Why do we have this inclusion? Why do we have all this value? Why do we have access to all of this blessing? All that's Christ's being poured out for us. Why is that? Here's the big so that, here in verse 9. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now that is a calling. That is a job description. That is an opportunity to bring him glory. This is the thrill of commission. You believer have been blessed with all of this value and all of this goodness and all of this kindness from God so that you may become a preacher, a herald, a beacon, a mouth peace spokesperson for the excellencies of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is so wonderful. The Lord Jesus Christ is so dynamically fantastic. There are excellencies about him. God has edges and contours. See, if you aren't in Christ, if you're new to this Bible stuff, maybe you're here visiting with a family member for Christmas. You may not understand why I'm so excited about this person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're like, I, don't, I can't resonate with that. I grew up maybe like you. I didn't go to church. I didn't know anything about him. I was not exposed to his glory or his honor. And then God reached into my life, drew me to a place where I could learn and grow about his excellencies. And my life is entirely changed from that place of darkness. I just didn't know. And I'm here to tell you what's true so that your life could be lit afresh and aflame with the glory of who he is. 
so that you would then share it with the world that's in desperate need. Whose bread I eat, his song I sing. Whose bread I eat, his song I sing. That's a, an old phrase to characterize the fact that the person that gives the most to you is the person that you tend to thank the most. Whose bread I eat, his song I sing. And we're called to eat the bread of life. We're called to eat of the Lord Jesus Christ to know him, his value, his glory, and how wonderful he is so that our lives are then filled with praise and proclamation so that he is magnified in it all so that we may proclaim the excellencies who called us out of the darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his wonderful, marvelous light. What a privilege. And how can you multiply a Merry Christmas but to tell the world but to tell the world. A few days ago, I was with some friends of mine uh, in Tarzana, and their young children had a holiday program at their, at their school. And so you can imagine the auditorium filled with parents and grandparents, everybody having their cell phone at the ready, and, uh, <clears throat> and for these little ones to, to march in and, and, to, um, and to regale us with frivolous Christmas songs, um, Jingle Bells and Rudolph and all the rest. It was a, quite, a, quite, a, quite an event. We're all there waiting. The kids hadn't arrived yet. <laughs> and it was interesting to me that as soon as the kids arrived in the back and started to march toward the stage to begin the program, applaud, like erupted, applause erupted. Like, oh! And I'm like, they're just walking down. <laughs> they're just walking. I mean, I don't know. They, they ain't done nothing yet. You know what I mean? They didn't do their hand motions. Nothing happened. You know what I mean? Like, they simply walked in the room, and the parents were like, ah, you're here! And they're like videotaping them walking down the aisle. I was like, man, that's a lot of enthusiasm for the arrival of the kids that you sent to school like 45 minutes ago. You know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not like you hadn't seen them. You just saw them. You knew what they were dressed in, the whole thing, and you knew that they were coming, and they're here. Oh, they're here. They're here. Oh, they're here. They're here. They're so excited. They're here. They're here. Oh. Applause breaks out at the arrival of these tiny little musical urchins. <laughs> and what about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Not just any time but to us, like day by day. like I, I thought to myself, that's really sweet and precious, but do I anticipate the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ in communion time in the Bible, praying and reading and understanding and growing in my relationship with him? The wise man is not to boast in his wisdom, nor the rich man in his riches, nor the strong man in his strength. But if you must boast, boast in this, that you know and understand the Lord, and that we have this privilege of access an estimation of the value to be saved from our sins, to have a life of a new identity and a new calling for his glory and purposes, that every opportunity for him to arrive would be met with jubilation in my heart, joy and thanksgiving to read and to know and to grow in what it means to be accepted in the beloved. Merry Christmas. Father, if you would teach us and show us what this means, I'm so thankful now that we had the privilege of singing. What wonderful proclamation through these songs is next for us and hearing and 
thinking and praying and in our hearts lifting up our voices of exaltation to you. I thank you for Anchor Bible Church, for my friend Todd and these leaders and these faithful, faithful people. Our family's been so enriched by our time here. We magnify your name. Help us, O Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.